What's up, everyone? This is Hannah with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. I am a physical therapist here in Charleston, and I am the new host of this podcast. This podcast is meant to give you the correct health and fitness information, along with spreading awareness of all of the different health and fitness professionals here in Charleston. I love being able to use this podcast as a way to meet all of those around me that are trying to make the world a better place. And my mission as a PT is to educate people and to empower them to take ownership and control of their health. This is season three of the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. You. Thanks so much for listening to the show. This podcast is sponsored by Made to Move Physical Therapy, and we believe that movement is medicine. If you have been dealing with pain that's preventing you from doing what you love, and if you're looking for a healthcare provider to help you meet your goals, then go to madetomovept.com slash contact us. That two is the number two. Fill out the form and reference the Healthy Charleston podcast. Listeners get 10% off their first session. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. This is your host, Hannah Briel, and on today's episode, I'm talking with Cullen Murray Kemp, the owner of HealthLinks Magazine. HealthLinks is an independent health and medical magazine designed to improve health literacy in our community, and Cullen and I talk a lot about the creation of the magazine and what it's grown into over the past few years. Cullen is passionate about improving health literacy and access to quality health information and its providers, and he's dedicated to making his magazine all about the information and all about the patient. We talk a lot about the importance of trust in healthcare and as healthcare providers, and the little things that we can all do to build better relationships with our patients, because ultimately we're in the industry of helping and connecting with other humans, and better relationships produce better outcomes. Cullen feels that health is the most valuable thing that we have. It's very important to him that his company can help others realize that and help others prioritize their health. So everyone, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome back everyone to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. On today's episode, I'm talking with Cullen Murray Kemp, the owner of HealthLinks. HealthLinks is an independent health and medical magazine designed to improve health literacy in our community. Welcome, Cullen. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Excited to learn more about HealthLinks and, and why, like your why behind it and your story behind it. Because I don't think I know that, really. So, <laughs> HealthLinks... in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think the story behind it, like, people always want to know how businesses got to where they are and what sort of humanizes them and makes them... Um, I come from a background of uh, English and journalism, actually. I moved to Charleston in 2008, the beginning of 2008, um, and was writing, uh, freelancing, working for the Post and Courier. I would uh, cover away um, sports for papers in, like, when Boston College came to play College of Charleston, I would cover it for the Boston Globe, um, the basketball game, because... Uh, in the uh, paper industry, they could no longer afford to send a journalist from Boston to Charleston. So got, I was doing that, and then I was like doing uh, high school sports, entering you know uh, numbers into um, a system at Post and Courier. Uh, it was pretty mundane work. I was making you know like forty dollars a day. Um, I so, say an hour. I was like, oh wait, no, okay. no, a, a, a day, and <laughs> I worked twice a week. Um, so okay. pretty quickly, I learned that my writing skills were not going to keep the lights on. Um, so I got into advertising sales um, over here at Mount Pleasant Magazine, and pretty quickly uh, wanted something you know that was my own. So I saw this kind of health section that they had, and they published annually called Health Links, and I. Uh, bundled together all my pennies and um, became a partner in HealthLinks and we pulled it out to its own magazine. This was 2013 or so. Um, 
And, you know, fast forward a couple years, we were, took health links from one issue a year, publishing 10,000 copies to, uh, now we do 300,000 copies in two markets six times a year. So, uh, the growth was, you know, at the beginning, pretty slow. Uh, our MO was that we wanted to be an independent, uh, health information platform. So we didn't want to like succumb to the politics that were so readily prevalent in healthcare. Like you take an, uh, an article about dementia, right? And I wanted the autonomy to quote a doctor from Roper, a doctor from MUSC, and a doctor from HCA, um, and in hopes give the best possible information and not have to be pigeonholed to one hospital system. So that was hard in the beginning because, you know, everybody wanted exclusivity, this, that, and the other. But if I could just be about the information and health links could just be about the patient, I think we would, you know, uh, really hang our hat on that independent side of health literacy and health information. So, um, you know, the company has more recently, I guess a little bit pre pandemic, um, and then into the pandemic, we've, we, we grew a lot because I think people reprioritized health information. And so you could see our web analytics increasing. We offered uh, free subscriptions and ended up getting more subscriptions in the first six months of the pandemic than we had in the previous six years. Um, And then um, we started, I guess in 2017 or 18, maybe we started HealthLinks Upstate. So we have um, HealthLinks Charleston and then Upstate, which is Greenville, Spartanburg. Um, And you know, we've kind of developed Health Links video, Health Links newsletter, Health Links podcast. Uh, we put a lot of uh, time and thought and resources and energy into the digital side of what we're doing now. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I guess I was like, you know, a writer turned salesperson turned publisher. Um, but with Health Links, you just saw like these factors that made having a local healthcare publication in Charleston makes so much sense, right? My wife was a nurse in the pediatric ICU. And I remember vividly her saying that she's going to a funeral of a kid that they lost in the ICU from North Carolina. I was like, why would someone be traveling that far? Uh, well, come to find out that Charleston has like this incredible medical landscape. So that made health links make a lot, a lot of sense. Then you have like the Grang of America, which is like our baby boomer generation, which is our biggest generation of all time, getting older, still consuming print at a high rate and needing healthcare information. And then you had like the fact that the Southeast in particular, um, I think you refer to it as the stroke belt. Um, That's a technical, like, it's not just like people say that. The stroke belt. I'm from the stroke belt, so I can say that. So people are just naturally uh, reactive in how they approach their health, right? Um, so having a local health information resource where you can not only um, you know figure out what doctors, but you can read about, say, take the relationship between diabetes and foot health. You can read about that subject on our website and then find a local endocrinologist and a local podiatrist, a local primary care doctor, um, to go see. And so I think that's what kind of makes HealthLink special and unique. So did you know there were like a few things that made starting HealthLinks like really, really smart? The baby boomers, us being in the Southeast, obviously the pandemic, no one really knew about that. And then also like the medical landscape of Charleston. Did you know all of that before you were like, yep, let's do it. Let's go. Or were you just kind of like, I think this is what I want to do. And then you're like, oh, that was a great decision. Um, Well, you know, I think I was like in a time where I needed something more. So, you know, running around slinging ads uh, to, you know, different um, car dealerships and to, you know, different mom and pops. It, It was fun for a while and it sort of kept the lights on that I couldn't previously keep on. But I think that uh, I wanted something more fulfilling from a, I guess, just like day-to-day uh, making my brain work perspective, which like the writing did previously, but I kind of, you know, abandoned ship on the writing. Um, so I did, I did put thought into what was next, and I think it was easiest to stay within like the framework of what I already had created from the sales and the editorial side and being in publishing having background in journalism and already 
working at Mount Pleasant Magazine. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes is the short answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So you were kind of writing before about sports. Sounds like some car dealerships, just like regular whatever. What drew you, what made you so passionate about health? Um, I mean, honestly, like I wasn't, this passion has been something that has, uh, grown on me. Uh, I would say like, I didn't really give it a whole lot of thought high school, college, and even, you know, shortly yeah. thereafter. Um, I've always been relatively healthy. Like I played basketball in college and like would work out a lot and so forth. But, uh, I think my wife being a, uh, nurse practitioner now, um, you know, definitely didn't hurt. Uh, I think all of her family is in healthcare, respiratory therapist, um, and, uh, healthcare administration. Um, I also knew that, you know, I mean, like, look, people are always going to need health resources. And I've been, like, really frustrated, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before in the podcast, um, with, you know, having to be referred inside of uh, insurance network to a doctor that I didn't even research and know. Um, and so I thought that there was, like, a good opportunity and it was a good space for uh, me to really, really expand um, and offer information that people don't necessarily know that they have access to or even have access to. So um, previously, no, I was not interested in health, but the passion has been something that's been learned over the last 10 years. Yeah, I think like you kind of had your own frustrations and like I think we all do in health and that kind of pushes us to think like, what if it wasn't this way? And like, what can I do to make it better? And I think over the past few years, it sounds like way more people are looking for health information. And I think it's gotten a lot better in terms of like people having access to health information. But I'm always still surprised to learn about what people don't know in terms of their health and what people, you know, health literacy and like some scary statistics. And I think that's like a lot of the the goals of health links is to improve those things right yeah yeah definitely and look you think about i mean even today right i'm frustrated because my wife went from a um a musc staff member to an musc physicians right so our health insurance changed mm-hmm. And I was seeing a mental health therapist that was covered under the health insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, And now she's at the same institution. It's just she has a better job and better health insurance. And now I can't see this same therapist. Well, I can see him, but it's like 300 bucks every time I go see him. So um, (laughs) I have to pick and choose when I go see him now. Um, Yeah, you really need him. No, but I think the, the... Access to information is a is a cool subject, and I think it can be uh, that subject can be maneuvered from healthcare to any sort of vertical market, like whatever you want to know. It's become so much more accessible because of the reach of the internet, right, and social media, etc. Uh, you're getting a lot of misinformation, which was a really uh, hot subject, especially during the pandemic and the beginning of pandemic and elections and so forth. Um, but there's a there's a there's this word that we always come back to and if uh you go to like our whiteboard at our office it's trust right and trust is paramount in healthcare decision making and now that people know like you would maybe go see a new doctor you need a new uh, ob and uh, someone in your neighborhood um had used that ob before and and they uh you know they had good experience so then maybe you uh switch doctors and go see them we really, really do our best to build trust between our our magazine, our podcast, our website, and our consumers because we hope that that trust can then parlay into our partners. Um, but we build trust by offering quality health information at zero cost, local health information. Mm-hmm. And so we've done that for 10 years. I mean, thousands and thousands of articles, uh, you know, thousands of interviews, every article is fact-checked by an MD before it goes to press. And that was like, hey, uh, 
we need to make sure that we are being factually sound with the information that we put out because if we're not, um, you know, it's not like a realtor publishing the wrong listing, right? This is something that could affect directly someone's health and health is the most valuable thing that we have. So that trust between our magazine and our readers has been very important. And I hope that it has, you know, established a better communication line between, um, physicians and providers and health resources and the, the people that make up our community. So that's important. It's like, you know, what do you even ask a doctor when you go see him? You know, like, how do you interact with the doctor? You know, uh, what are, how do you get the most out of your visit? Like, these are things that we have always seek to cover because, you know, in a lot of situations you have a very limited time mm -hmm. and scope with a, with a provider. So optimizing those visits are important. Like teaching people what they should ask. Yeah. Like how to use the medical system in the best way. Right. Yeah. That's something that like I would never even think about, but it's just like, we don't, we don't even know a lot of things that we don't know in terms of what people know about their health. And I think like trying to be as like trying to be unbiased, trying to be factual, especially when we have so much access to information and misinformation, like it's gotta be challenging because there's just so much out there. Like you read this and then you read something and it says the opposite. But like you said, like trust is at the, the foundation of what we do and also why people make decisions. Like, I don't go just go on the street and start telling everybody the exercises that they need to do and you need to know, do PT. They'd be like, who is this girl? I don't even have a relationship with her. And I think a lot of people might not understand that that's why people make healthcare decisions. And it's like the little things that you do. Like, were you nice to them on the phone? Like, how did the front desk interact with the, the client? Like, what was the intake paperwork like? And all of those things lead like me as the patient to either trust or not trust the person that walks into the room. Did they look me in the eyes? Did they shake my hand? I remember I got my wisdom teeth out and the surgeon, that's all he did. He was really good at it, but he literally walked in the room. He didn't look at me he just turned around, faced away from me and started typing on his computer and said, okay, I want to do your surgery next week. And me and my mom looks at each other and we were like, I want to like see your face. Like, let me shake your hand. Um, but he was so well known and mm. he did a great job. I mean, my, my mouth is fine, <laughs> but I like that you talk about trust. Um, and you already answered my question of like, how do you build trust? But I think it's, it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you, you really, to build trust, you can't really have an agenda. Well, our agenda is improving health and health literacy, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and access to quality providers. But, um, you know, we have to like, so when I first got into journalism, right, there was two sides of the newsroom. There was advertising and there was editorial and there was no overlap. They hate each other. You know, they'd shoot spitballs at each other from the side, yeah. from side to side. Like, um, as I, as I got through, uh, college and, you know, I was interning at places, I start to see this, uh, this change and it's like a, a fine line that we have to walk all the time. Right. Um, especially with health links is, uh, yes, these people are paying to advertise. Um, and by the way, that's our only form of revenue is advertising dollars that come through, uh, by people or, you know, businesses and practices that want, uh, their name on our platforms. Um, but we have to balance that with, and by the way, without their ad dollars, we could not <laughs> produce this information. By the way. <laughs> so uh, we have to balance that with uh, producing quality information. And so, uh, but right at the middle of it is, you know, is the, is the trust. So that balancing act is, is a little bit difficult when you find the melding of like editorial and advertising. Um, Offering information that does not uh, have an agenda has to be first, um, but at the same time, you have to cater to your partners because they allow you to do what you want to do, which is, so it's like this weird, like, cyclical uh, combination of information and advertising, and I think if you look at any platform, um, 
especially you know digital in digital advertising, you are always going to get served the advertising based off of your habits, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we 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 call them digital uh, you know digital cookie trails. It's like <laughs> following Hannah around from her Instagram to uh, her uh, you know to her. Uh, any, any of her Google workspace to, you know, the websites that she's visiting, then serving and, and see, you know, she has these PT interests and then serving her ads for exercise bands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing, maybe a little less invasive with health links. Like, if you pick up health links, you have a predisposition to want to consume local health and medical information. Mm. Um, so, but we, we have to be very conscious of uh, having a good balance of editorial and advertising. Why are they so historically at odds? <laughs> well, because in uh, you don't want a biases in your information, right? And so when uh, you don't want this news about the war in Ukraine brought to you by this Ukrainian company, okay, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I would say that's why they're yeah. usually uh, separated. Um, but the whole world of media and journalism and, um, how people consume news and information has changed so much in the last, I mean, it's changed a lot in the last two years, but like the last 20 years of, you know, 20 years ago, Instagram and Facebook weren't a thing. Yeah. 20 years ago, think about it, 2002, um, people were consuming, uh, a lion's share of their information through newspaper. Mm. What about TV? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even that's changing, right? Because, like, you have your streaming searches and all your... I mean, people are still... Netflix was not a thing. Not even the, the, like, pick up your DVD in your mailbox Netflix. That wasn't even a thing. Um, So, like, the whole world of uh, programmatic advertising has really changed. um, And it's just... It's just keeping up with what you know, how you're accessing your target market. Like I, I think, and we're doing the same thing at health links with our website, charlestonphysicians.com. Um, and then also with our upstate website, but, uh, understanding consumer habits, what people are likely to enter into search terms, um, into search engines, um, like keywords, mm-hmm. uh, as far as like searching local healthcare, we went through this, a pretty lengthy keyword research exercise where we figured out the top 30,000 search terms that people were looking for when accessing physicians and doctors, et cetera, um, in, or health services in the low country. Um, and then we had to go back and re-index our website according to that information. Um, and then we put like heat maps all over our website that shows, you know, where people are more likely to go, and you we can found, do that? yeah, and we found that How a lot of people weren't uh, using our search function um, yeah. on our website. So we had to look at the UX side, which is user experience, and uh, understand that the search bar was really not something that people were familiar with. So we huh. went back and made the search bar look like Google and Bing mm-hmm. search bar. Um, and now it's getting a lot more uh, use. So yeah. it's, I mean, uh, that conversation that we're having right now was not had 20, 30 years ago. It was just like, you know, how can we get these print materials in front of these people or, mm-hmm. um, you know, TV advertising, radio advertising, et cetera. But I, I love this niche that we're in because, you know, it, it's a responsibility at the same time. Like health literacy is a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm proud that Health, Health Links hangs its hat on that responsibility of uh, improving people's access to information. I remember uh, 10 years ago when we came up with our first sort of like tagline for actually our first partner um, at Health Links, and um, it was giving Charleston the freedom to choose their healthcare provider. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That yeah. still very much applies today. It's important, like, knowing the doctor that you're going to go see before you see them. And that's what we do is, like, we provide information on the practicing physicians so you can go in there and be versed and Mm -hmm. hopefully have a better, you know, experience with that provider. Well, like you said, just humanize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think 
like I didn't even know what an SEO was until two years ago. And like, like you said, 20, 30 years ago, it was just like, how are we going to make this headline catchy? Now it's like, how are we going to, knowing what we know about like behavior and psychology, how are we going to optimize our website so that people actually can find our information? Because mm-hmm. you could have an amazing, well evidence-based website, but it could be deep into Google and nobody ever gets to it. So now you also have to play the game mm-hmm. and fight against all of the people that maybe don't have the best agenda either. Right. Right. Yeah. Like you'll see, uh, you'll see, you'll see like uh, law offices uh, put the word, uh, you know, like the the acronym DUI on their website like 30,000 times or whatever just so they can return high when people yeah. are searching DUI attorney. Exactly. Um which, you know, maybe they are helping those people with DUIs at the same time. But, you know, it's, yes, uh, I think a, having a, I'll put it like this, having a good website should be the first thing that you do as a business, a practice. I don't care if you're in healthcare or food and beverage. Because it, it's your digital home, right? Mm. Um and then you can start running media pointing people to that website. But you have a have to have an actionable website as well, meaning like you have to have a strong call to action. Something that when someone gets to your website, it's very clear on, as to what you would like them to do. Mm. Um, so, and then once you have that digital home, uh, then you can start placing media and buying media to push people to that place. So I'm glad you said that because LA works on the website like every single day. And at some point I'm like, can you stop and like work on something else? But now you just totally confirmed his biases that he should continue to work on the website. So thanks for that. So you said something earlier about like the people that are going to pick up the magazine are like predisposed to want healthcare information, but how do we access the people that aren't as inclined to pick up the magazine? Like how do we, how do we bridge that gap? Yeah, right. Um, so having HealthLinks Magazine, HealthLinks Podcast, HealthLinks Newsletter, CharlestonPhysicians.com, HealthLinks Video, HealthLinks on Social, um, having those six platforms, six or seven platforms, allows us to reach a different demographic of consumer through each of those platforms, but always are they local and always are they health conscious. That's why like, it makes a lot more sense for someone in my opinion, obviously I'm married to the magazine, but it makes a lot more sense for someone to be advertising on, in healthcare, on health, in HealthLinks magazine, as opposed to in a lifestyle magazine, because you have that niche audience, right? And the same thing goes for each of our other platforms, but I never wanted to just reach a 55 plus demographic or a mom demographic, which is primarily what we reach with the print magazine. Um, I wanted to reach people our age, um, as well. So that's why we've put a, a, a larger emphasis on the, the digital side of what we're doing. And so we're just, uh, re replatforming the same information or, or similar information on different channels that reach a different audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I very much use Instagram to make my like restaurant decisions, but my parents like Yelp it or they just Google it and look at the menu. But I want to see like, what does the atmosphere look like? What does the food look like? Where am I going to sit? But that's so new and it's like very new to our generation. But I think, you know, in the next 10 years, like that's going to be next 10, 20 years, like that's going to be the majority of people are going to be looking at Instagram, looking at Facebook, like because you, you can so easily find that information. And as soon as I see a restaurant that doesn't have that, I'm like, oh, mm. I, I don't know what to expect. I don't want to go there because yeah. that trust isn't there, right? Well, you may find the hole in the wall, though. I know, but you got to, like, you have to, like, be sneaky about the way you advertise a hole in the wall. Unless you're, like, you know, in New York and you have, like, a secret pop-up right, bar. Right. And maybe that's why I don't go to any pop-up bars here, because I don't know about them. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. go to the places with pretty Instagrams. Yeah. So that's where I'm biased. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about, like, when we kind of started thinking about health, when you, when health became your passion. At what age do you remember, like, starting to consider and prioritize your health? When did that first happen for you? <laughs> Um, like last week. <laughs> I think it's I think it's reactive 
you know, mm-hmm. all of the stuff that I preach against is like what we're naturally, but it was early there, earlier for me though, because I started to get like GERD in mm-hmm. high, senior year of high school. So I had to go through my Rolodex and what is causing this, mm-hmm. right? And so I cut out pretty early on, I cut out like fast food from my diet. Um, and that really, I think was the, the sort of the, the, the genesis of me at least starting to think about my health. Um, you know, well, I just feel terrible when I don't work out. Right. And like, I don't guess that it's, uh, I, I think you get that the runner's high or what have you from, from doing something in sports. But I didn't realize until after college, cause I played basketball in college that, uh, I wasn't getting that regular high from working out every, or playing basketball every day. Mm-hmm. So then I had to, uh, reintroduce like fitness, I would say in, mm-hmm. into my life. Um, you know, fast forward a couple years, you know, we get married, um, um, and we have these careers and, um, even with the passing of my father a couple of years ago, I think mental health started to be a bigger, uh, bigger challenge for me. Um, and so there's sort of like these steps of like, you know, from the diet to the exercise to the mental health, um, where, you know, I picked up, uh, daily meditation. I, um, you know, so I started to see a mental health, mental health therapist, even more recently. Um, and I talked about this in my last publisher's note, um, having to get on an SSRI, uh, to kind of, um, put at bay my, my anxiety. Um, so, you know, it's been something that I think naturally as we get older and we become, more susceptible and even more aware of, uh, the, uh, the impacts that, I mean, whether it's like society or, you know, your job or your relationships or that they're having on you or your diet or your lack of exercise Mm -hmm. that they're having on you. Um, it, it, it compounds as we get older. So we, we, in my experience, at least I went through these stages of, uh, thinking about health. Yeah, I think I was the same way. Like, as a seven-year-old, you're not concerned about, oh, I I need to work out four times this week so I can meet my physical activity guidelines. And, like, it's ironic because we have healthcare education, like PE and whatever, all our lives. But until it becomes, like, relatable to you, I I don't remember much from middle school, elementary school, like, the food pyramid, whatever. But... None of that really became, like, needed for me to know and practice until I had to react, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, but knowing that, you kind of start to, like, assess your, your life and your health as a whole rather than just, like, oh, I'm just going to fix this one thing. You're like, oh, health. Like, maybe I should consider health as, like, overall. You mentioned something earlier. I think you said, like, health is the most valuable thing that we have. Why do you feel that way? I just think that there's, you know, plenty of millionaires and billionaires that would trade all of their money for a clean bill of health, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Health is, you know, I think it's like, it's as unique as we are as individuals, but it really gives us security and opportunity. um, And I think that whether it's like, I mean, right, because if you're not healthy, you, you can't pursue anything that you want to, you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's binding, it's handcuffing, mm-hmm. poor health is, um, so to me, that's what values it at the top of my list. Yeah, it's like what allows you to live your life, it's like the foundation of the pyramid, Yeah, it's like you can't, you can't be worried about how well your business is doing or how well your kids are doing if yeah. you're laying in a hospital bed or if you're not cognitively there or if, right. you know, you're super unhealthy. And it's a trickle down too because like, you know, literally after this podcast, I'm going to get in here and we're going to work <laughs> on my physical therapy, right? Because I want to be able to play golf um, as much as I can. And golf is an outlet for me from a mental health side, right? And so, like, mm. if my back is, you know, strained to the point where I can't play golf, 
then I don't have any respite or reprieve from uh, work or whatever I have going on, um, you know, mentally at, at the time. And so, you know, it's it's a trickle-down effect of, hey, I want to do these things, mm-hmm. but uh, if I'm not healthy or if I'm not up to par, so to speak... Um, then I can't, I can't, uh, I can't do them. So yeah, I think people underestimate, I think you underestimate your health until for some reason you have an experience that makes you realize like that if you lost any more of your health, like it would take a lot away from your life, like golf, basketball, working out like those things bring you joy. And that's like the same narrative for so many other people. And we don't realize how important those things are in our life. Otherwise it would just be work work and eat and sleep but when you can't do the things that you want to choose to do anymore like when your health really or lack of health really starts to interfere with your life I think that's when people that's when people make decisions and I'm the a huge proponent of like how can we be more proactive as a society as a society rather than reactive but across the board like we as humans make decisions when the pain of change is now less than the pain of staying the same. So, like, as as long as it's like, oh, I'm fine, I can get by, like, we don't often make decisions because we're thinking in the short term a lot of the time. So it's like, how do we get people to think about, like, how are my actions today going to make me feel in 10 years, in 20 years? What about, like, how are they going to affect my kids and my relationships? Well, really what you're talking about is, like, mindfulness um, and... That's one of the things that I've really gained from meditation. Um, so, if some of my friends listen to this podcast and listen to me speaking like this, they'll be like, "Who the heck is that guy?" Really? You know? <laughs> well, because listen, um, you know, prior to my career, prior to adopting meditation, I think, you know, in my uh, my need to sort of be, you know, the center of attention all the time, like being an only child and all these things, um, you know, they caused me to do some stupid things, right? <laughs> like what? Yeah, right. Um, you know, run and jump off the top of a building into a pool or whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> something like that. Not that I did anything. Definitely not like that. that. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Um, so I think being, but no. Okay. So connecting it to mindfulness is, that maybe that, uh, you know, that discipline that's required to make a change, maybe that threshold is, you know, maybe it's a little bit lower if you are being, you know, mindful of yourself. Uh, maybe that pain is at, a, is at a two instead of a seven and you want to address that. Um, or, you know, you, you have slight, slightly high cholesterol or something minimal, um, and you want to address it then as opposed to waiting to your, uh, cholesterol's through the roof. Or, uh, you know, I think just being, uh, mindful of yourself and self-awareness, a sense of where you are, um, I think that is really, really at the core of what we're talking about is how, how can we as individuals be more conscious of ourselves, how it's, uh, you know, the, 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 the pain points that we're having, whether they're physically, emotionally, or even spiritually, um, and when do we address them, um, in a more, and how can that moment of address be a little bit more, a little bit sooner, a little bit more proactive, because then, you know, I don't know what we we live a longer life or we're happier more quality. or more quality. Yeah. We suffer quality. less. We yeah. have more joy. Right. Yeah, I think that's huge. Like, if we can all just be a little bit more aware, and when we talk about meditation and mindfulness, like we bring in a new layer of like aware of our own beliefs too, and like aware of how we're limiting ourselves or where we can change the way that we view something. Like, I also just started meditating, so I'm excited to talk about that later. Yeah. Um, but just starting to like check in with yourself and like, how am I doing with these things? And where is there a room of improvement? Obviously like giving yourself some grace, really just being like non-judgmental. I think that could be a huge first start with people. Like you don't need to go run a marathon or start, you know, a like orange theory is great, but like you don't need to completely change your life to change your life. 
to like yeah. make really amazing steps towards who you want to be. You don't have to go all in. You can just start with like, you know what? I think I want to eat one more serving of vegetables yeah. during the weekdays. Yeah. And like for me personally, it's like I am. Uh, so like my father was a uh, world, really world renowned uh, coastal college marine scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was his biggest science project, right? And so it was a very, like, uh, perfectionist style of raising a child, right? And so that um, developed into uh, me being particularly hard on myself um, and never being satisfied, right? Which uh, can is really a hard way to be on yourself because, like, if you're never really satisfied and you never give yourself credit for stuff that you do, then you're naturally going to be, you'll actually at least have a natural inclination to skew negative. Um, and if you're always skewing negative, then, you know, when, when, when do you get reprieve or like freedom? And when is it enough? Yeah. And so I have to consciously go in and say, you know, and it's hard, it's really hard for me to do, but to say, Hey, Stand back and look at what you've done in the last three months on CharlestonPositions.com. Look at the changes. Look at look at how many more people you're reaching. Um, and so that for me may be my eating my extra serving of vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I say like health is as unique as we as are as individuals because where I struggle may be a place where you excel, and where you excel is a place you know where I. No, where you struggle is a place where I excel. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think health is very individual. And, like, what's... I saw something that's, like, for some, eating the cookie might be the healthy thing to do. For some, not eating the cookie might be the healthy thing to do. And that's why, like, we really are pushing people to, like, get answers for themselves, have better access, have better health literacies, because no one knows you better than you, especially if you have some self-awareness. And if you can relay that to a doctor and you can find a doctor that can help you make health decisions based off of you, not just based off of like, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this. You should be eating that. No, cut that. What's one step up the staircase? How can we get more people to just take one step and like for people like you and me to feel like that's enough mm. too and mm. not just to be like, oh, well, I'm not there yet. Like that one step right. is huge and yeah. can drastically improve your, your health outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, but there's still like 20 more steps left. So. But see, I'm not there yet. I can't even see the end of the staircase. <laughs> All I can see, I know, I feel the same way. You talked a little bit about how like you started off as a magazine and now you're obviously way more into the digital realm. But can you talk me through that process of just how you've grown, how you've pivoted, especially during pandemic, things like that? Um. Yeah. So... We we started off doing just a magazine and doing it, uh, I, I believe our first year, we may have done four issues. Um, that, obviously, your revenue is dependent, your advertising revenue is dependent on how many times you come out with the magazine. You know, if you're coming out six times a year in two markets, you're going to make you at least have more potential for ad revenue than once mm-hmm. in uh, one market. So um, I think when I initially partnered, I had always realized that charlestonphysicians.com would be a big part of the future of what we did. Uh, but things, the first couple of years were just like uh, honing in the concept of the, of the magazine and, from the layout to the special sections to the, uh, you know, everything from like, what are the end caps on articles? Like we use like a pulse line, uh, to note the end of an article or, you know, what would the, what, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of text or graphics, um, are the most aesthetically pleasing? Um, you know, all these little things that make up this, to me, a beautiful sort of puzzle, which is every new issue that we publish. Um, then looking at, hey, you know, my my parents may read this magazine, but being honest with myself, if I'm looking for a new doctor, I'm Googling doctors in Charleston, mm. right? And so how do we come up first when people Google doctors in Charleston? Um, so we began to put a lot of effort into, like, uh, 
we're sort of a content mill, meaning like we create new articles mm-hmm. every issue. So how do we like index those articles? Uh, you know, how do we write them effectively with keywords? Because we want to return when people are searching family doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, to then, you know, by the beginning of the pandemic, we, we had, we were doing quite well in Charleston. We were actually on our way to doing very well in, in Greenville. Um, but as you can imagine, when a panic that, you know, economic insecurity, the, uh, you know, everybody's leaving work, what, what have you, people are, people are very worried about this, uh, this virus. Um, people are stocking up on toilet paper mm-hmm. and chicken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when, and, and when, and guess what the first line item that business owners and practice item owners are cutting, you know, advertising, right? Yeah. It's not necessity, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like paying your power bill. Um, so we, that was a big, a big pivot, um, that we had to make because we were coming out with the magazine every two months, but the, the news landscape from a healthcare perspective was changing daily. Mm. So that's why we started the podcast. That's why we started the newsletter. So we would be able to cover time sensitive mm. news. Yeah. Um, we also needed. We also knew that there would be this uh, this fervor, this excitement for health information that had never existed prior to the pandemic. Because you know, people are watching the the, the death ticker on CNN and um, Fox, and so uh, we needed. We felt like we were well positioned um, to be a resource for people and. So that really, really pushed us while, where a lot of people were, you know, had the freedom to take some time off and, um, you know, we were kind of in the trenches, uh, trying to push out as much information as possible. Um, and then we had this idea that magazines were getting pulled out of medical waiting rooms. So we wanted to go more direct to consumer. Uh, so we offered free subscriptions, which is a big it's a big financial undertaking, I think, you know, because you have to pay for postage. Each magazine that we print costs, you know, between a dollar and two dollars just for the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, us offering free subscriptions to the community was really, really an act that uh, I think a lot of our partners appreciated. So we ended up retaining enough business to cover any of the subscriptions that we got. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, where the, I would say, if you look at the pandemic in relation to health links, our revenue went down, but our audience in, improved. Yeah. And if you know kind of anything about advertising, if you have an audience, you have an opportunity. Um, and so I think that's like the long winded explanation for sort of the development over the last eight or nine years with, with our company. So now you have a couple of like new things coming things that you've been working on yep um so also amidst the pandemic um there was a copy of health links magazine sitting below a monitor at musc that was running this program called medical campus connection uh medical campus connection is uh on-screen information on like kiosks and uh screens uh inside of the medical universities campuses um and it was like a departmental um, project, but the guy who started it saw that copy of Health Links below the screen and said, oh, you know, I'm looking to move on to other things. Why don't I call this guy, because he already has a relationship with MUSC, and see if he wants to buy my company. Oh, wow. Uh, so he did, and I did, and it became moved from a department. Uh, solution to an enterprise solution um, at MUSC. And so now we are in the throes of rolling out uh, additional, you know, screens all over. I mean, you know, their, how, how deep their roots are. Um, and so, you know, from, from next in to Citadel mall all the way up to like the Midlands. And um, we're, we're putting in, in collaboration with MUSC, we're putting in screens where we have the opportunity to sell advertising to non-competitive uh, service lines. Um, so pretty much, everything outside of healthcare can advertise on those screens. Um, and then with the exception, well, MUSC has to prove everything. Um, but 
they the, there's advertising on the screens, and then there's MUSC information, and then there's advertising, and then there's MUSC information. Mm-hmm. So like, that's another cool opportunity for us because again, it's it's a great juxtaposition from the high cost per impression that you get with print to the you know they have buildings like well the Ashley River Tower. There's more people that walk in and out of that building on a daily basis than any other brick-and-mortar facility in the state of South Carolina. What? So, um, right. So, and then there's a kiosk right there. I'm going to go put there. our signs up there, too. <laughs> yeah, right. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> I know, right? And USC's going to just take them yeah. and trash them. Oh. Um, so, that's a really cool venture. And as you can imagine, we can, um, we can, I'm hoping we can parlay that into, and I'm already in discussions with other uh, big medical organizations to deploy our screens in their facilities because from their perspective, it's really great because they have, there's no more, you know, stand-up uh, poster board. Yeah. There's a, and they're getting, it's a, like, an internal messaging option, but also it's an external message. So, like, if they have, you know, uh, high-margin service lines that they're really trying to promote, like, bariatric surgery or something like that, um, then they can just run those ads on their screens. So, um, that's really exciting Thing that we've got into with Medical Campus Connection, and then just the renovation, which we're still in the throes of our, our website, um, mm-hmm. well, sites. Um, so we have like uh, Health Things Charleston, and then we have charlestonphysicians.com, and all the other service lines that associate with Health Links Charleston. And then we have the same thing in Greenville. So, a lot of websites. trying to build uh, those websites and make them as functional as possible, but also get as many people there to have the opportunity to look at all the information on the websites. Um, it's kind of what we've been working on. That's all Elliot would do all day. If you guys <laughs> just work on the website, maybe you need to talk to Elliot. Yeah, for real. <laughs> what does Medical Campus Connection do for the patient and the consumer? Um, yeah, so I think it really is like an alternative medium for patients to get information. Obviously, like within MUSC is like, you know, what doctors on what floor and like the information that you need when you go into their facilities. Uh, But then it's like, it's amazing because like this whole space is run by a company called uh, Patient Point. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's another subsidiary, Health Media Network, Uh, but they are all funded by pharmaceutical advertising, right? And so we offer like the local cupcake maker to buy an ad on these screens. Mm -hmm. And I think that is just more... I think it's you know, from a trust standpoint, uh, it's easy for me to see why hospital and healthcare leadership would rather have local advertising, um, non-pharmaceutical advertising in the waiting rooms. Um, so the, I'm, yeah. Yeah, that goes into like what what is it? Like we're one of the only countries that we we get direct to consumer pharmaceutical advertising. Right. You can ask your doctor to put you on this medication. It's just like. Big Pharma rules all, but Big Pharma is also always listening, so, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I think also, like, the more people, the more people are aware of something, the more people are familiar with it, like, I bet, this is just an example, like, let's say you needed to eat more vegetables, and Marissa has told you many times, your mom has told you, anyone in your life has told you, and then I tell you, and you're like, okay, I'm going to eat more vegetables. Right. It's like the more you hear it, sometimes it just takes one more or it takes someone from like an objective, unbiased source of telling you that you actually make a change. And so like putting out all this healthcare information, it helps people become, one, like more familiar with just their health. I think it makes people think about their health more. And it's probably not always new information it's things that they've heard they need to do. Like, I know I need to exercise. I know I need to sleep more. I know blah, 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 blah. But having it be from, like, a very well-backed, trusted, unbiased source, someone could might pick up your magazine and be like, I've seen that I need to do this 70 times, and now this magazine is telling me to do it. Yeah. So I'm going to do it. Like, so you and your website and your magazine is, like, very well may be the thing that's helping people make decisions and make changes and um, I read this book. It's called Change Maker. It's by the owner and the like starter of Precision Nutrition. And really, it talks about how a lot of people, a lot of people are passionate about health. It's sometimes, like an easy thing to be passionate about. A lot of people want to go into a career and pursue health, 
but a lot of people think that means they need to be a doctor or a PT or mm. a personal trainer, but you've created a career centered around health and you're not a doctor or PT or personal trainer. Like there's so many ways that we can improve our community's health and that we can have careers centered around health. And it, it's so, there's so many different t- ways of doing it. It doesn't have to be like the traditional, you know, I'm the doctor and then you're the patient. And so I just think that's a, a very creative thing that you've done and you've obviously gotten even more passionate and like even more knowledgeable about what it is you're doing. Uh, and I think that that shows. So I just think that keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I have one more question. Maybe a few. I can't promise anything. We talked a lot about building trust. How can providers better build trust with their patients? Um, yeah, uh, good question and probably one that's politically charged if we talk about the difference between employed physicians versus independent physicians. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, time spent, you know, bedside, listen, it's like when you have a photographer, there's two jobs of a photographer. One is to take a great, have a great eye and the other is to take a photographer, photo taking photos of people is to make the people feel really comfortable, mm. right? It's just an analogy for a doctor, right? You're a great, like your, your oral surgeon, he was a great uh, health provider, but had no bedside manner. I think making, look, knowing, going into a patient room, knowing that this person is probably worried, is probably anxious, may not have the, uh, may not be equipped with, the correct language to meet you where you are, mm-hmm. uh, as a, as a physician, as somebody who has a, a doctorate. Um, so it's hard to tell people to be better people, people, you know, but I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about might be lost sometimes, not by choice, yeah. but just by the system or just because like we're so caught up in trying to get this person the best outcome and you have a ton of people you're trying to do that for. I think sometimes we forget about the, the foundational relationship. And I think just going in with at least the background knowledge that this is not just another appointment, mm-hmm. right? You as a provider, you, you're you seeing a dozen patients in a day and they may look like numbers to you, uh, but there's no emotion in numbers and, you know, we are naturally sensitive uh species right um so that's one and then the other is like look you have this new uh sort of like sector of healthcare that is so different than the system that has been created that is you know it's controlled by large-scale um operational companies um that Listen, without pharmaceutical companies, we wouldn't have all of the Western medicine that saves lot, mm-hmm. infinite lives all the time. But what I've seen is like a uh, the beginnings of a different way of approaching care, which is, uh, you know, it's not fee for service. It's like, you know, you, you, you pay the membership model, the concierge model, the, uh, you know, and therefore you, you may spend 45 minutes with, mm-hmm. with a doctor. Um, so I think having, uh, competition in healthcare is important. I think that being about the patient as an individual, mm-hmm. uh, is important. And, uh, treating, you know, it's, it's, it's in vogue to say, you know, treating a patient holistically, right. Um, not treating a particular, uh, ailment, um, but, uh, looking at the big picture and, and that's, you know, I think it's attractive to me. Um, but my position in the whole position of health links is like, Here's the playing field. The quality providers, the quality entities will naturally uh, sort of rise to the top. And that is what competition does. Um, And so I, for one, appreciate competition in healthcare. I think that there is a place for 
uh, all different sorts of healthcare because we keep saying that our health is as unique as we are as individuals. Yeah, that's a great point. And like, if we truly are wanting to make every person healthy, then we need more doctors. We mm-hmm. need more gyms. We need more PTs because there's a ton of people and they're not all listening to us right now. And, and I think we will. I think if there's a good, uh, you know, um, there's a, there's a light behind this pandemic is that people, there's more people thinking about their health. Mm-hmm. There's more people wanting to be a little bit more proactive about their health. And there's more interest in health mm-hmm. um, from a, both a provider and a patient perspective. Even like mental health, I don't think has ever been talked about as much as it is now. Yeah. And it's, I think that's one very po- big positive of social media is like it, it gives people a voice and it also gives people other people to listen to and see, oh, they're talking about their mental health. Like there's, it's destigmatized, it's regular, it's normal. Um, I feel like it's just become a lot more accepted, which and like, yes. I wonder what happens in 10 years, like what's accepted in 10 years that right now we're like, oh, like what yeah. is that? No? Yeah, that is a glass half full perspective on social media. <laughs> yeah, you gotta <laughs> keep that. I don't, I don't know if mental health would be such a big problem today if we didn't have access to so many people's That's opinions at all times. Yeah. Like, remember, like back in the day when you didn't know what everyone around you was thinking and doing and their perspectives on everything at all times? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, no. It's like my normal. Yeah, that's a good point. Of like, do we need to talk about mental health even more now because of this platform that is like at a detriment to our mental health? Right. Well, I don't like that perspective. It's not as happy and fun. So I really like what you said about like you might have eight to 12 hours of patients, but they only have one of you. Like they only have one visit with you and you might have eight patients. They have one PT. They have one doctor. I always try to remember that. Like you're going to walk out of the store and I might have another patient, but you don't have another session. And I think it's just so important to keep reminding ourselves as providers and like anyone in the service industry, that the person that you're helping, the person that you're treating is a person. They're human. And like putting, like you said, like putting yourself in their shoes, like what are they feeling right now? Are they anxious? Are they worried? Did they rush here? Like what's going on at home? And just trying to be more understanding and more of a human. And listen, look, I'm... I'm not here to, like, criticize any provider. Um, I am saying that you have the hardest damn job, like, that exists, and the, one, the most important as well. Um, I'm just coming at it from a perspective that they may not see on a daily basis, which is that, you know, I'm, I'm the one who's at home struggling with this... Uh, this anxiety or with this back pain or, uh, you know, with this, you know, these stomach issues and I get 15 minutes to come in here and talk to you. I, I sure want that 15 minutes to be as productive as possible. And if we're taking, you know, if we're, if we're not engaged, uh, and I'm not gleaning what you want me to out of this, uh, interaction, uh, then, even if you write a prescription, uh, or even if you service my ailment, uh, you know, I'm still going to have that same stress when I get home. Cause I didn't, I didn't fully understand what you wanted because like a doctor is going to come in a room, they're going to make a realization and then they're going to have a solution. Right. Most of the time. Oh, the, the, the communication is like a part of that full circle mm-hmm. of, of, of how the patient experience needs to be. So to me, it's, I don't want it to come off brash because like, listen, I didn't go to medical school. I don't know anything about anything when it comes to healthcare, even doing health things for 10 years. I am simply a platform where those who know about healthcare can speak to those who need to know and want to know about health. Um, but I know that I'd like to think at least that I know how to communicate and how to engage. And I've been in the chair where I was worried and even with, you know, thinking about my father where, you know, we would see these and we are stressed to all ends Mm -hmm. and just to, uh, and it's so hard, Hannah, like it's so hard for a provider to, 
you know, they have their own lives as well, you know. So it doesn't feel like I should be able to. Well, you, you're the one who gave me the platform to sell it. It doesn't feel like I should be like, hey, you need to be more relatable as a provider. But um, I'm just trying to empathize from both sides. Yeah. It's just a gentle reminder. Like, I don't believe that anyone, 99% of doctors and physicians and providers became those things to help people because they truly care. They want to improve the life of a human. And I think we all, we often just forget the the reason or like what drew us to it. Or we get, we get busy. We get caught up in our own lives. We have to build units and we're rushing to the other room. And I think if you can just like slow down, be mindful and, and take a step back and think about like, what if I walk into this room and I know the person's name, I look them in the eyes and that's the only difference I changed today. That's huge. That could make that person's day. Like we said, like it's just one step. We're not, we don't have to change the whole system. You don't have to go cash based. Like you don't have to start your own business. It's just these really small things that like every person on this podcast, we always talk about the state of healthcare and like how we all want to change it um, and push it forward. And I think that we all can, we all can do something little, whether we own our own business or work for a big company or something like that, we can all just turn the dial up a little bit and make a really big impact. And we're not going to change healthcare unless we all do that. It's like, I'm just picturing ants right now, like a bunch of ants carrying this freaking brick. I don't know if it's possible, but we wouldn't be able to, ants can't do that alone. Right. 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 On the, the note of ants in terms of like, so we talked about what providers and clinicians can do listeners, like people in our community, how can, our communities start to improve their health or improve their health literacy. Give me one thing. Diagnose well, everyone. P- p- <laughs> pick up a copy of Health Links at your local Harris Theater. That's what you should do. There we go. That's it. That leads me to my next question. Where can our followers and listeners find you, find Health Links? Where yeah. can we subscribe? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you are in Charleston, you can subscribe for free at subscribehealthlinks. Oh, you're still doing free subscriptions. Yep. Oh, we are. okay. We are. Subscribehealthlinks.com. Um, and then you can go on to charlestonphysicians.com and search pretty much any ailment, any doctor, anything that you want to know about local health information, local health providers. Uh, that is the community resource, um, and it's all at no cost. Um, so, yeah, just we want people to access all the information that we have. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Colin. This has been great. Yeah, I had fun, Hannah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head on over to Instagram. Find us at Healthy Charleston. Leave us a review on iTunes. If you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on, feel free to DM us. Otherwise, thanks again.